835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A lot of ground to cover. Um, one of our three big things, it's a situation going on in Kenosha. A number of people are extremely upset. People in the law enforcement community particularly extremely upset. If you want to see a photograph of what they are so angry about, we're going to be discussing it in just a couple minutes. If you text the word potty, P-O-T-T-Y, like I say, there's lots of Lots of different uh, euphemisms or words we could have used, but I have chosen potty. P-O-T-T-Y, if you text that to 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we'll send you a link to the story, and you can see the photographs of what we're going to be talking about um, in, in a few minutes. So P-O-T-T-Y, it's what has a number of people in Kenosha, people, particularly people in the law enforcement community, extremely upset. Remember the old Beatles song, Revolution? There, there's a line in in the song where M- McCartney sings, "If you go around car- if you go around carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't gonna make it with anyone anyhow." That, that's kind of that that's sort of it. I was thinking about that when I came across this story, involving a woman named Emily Lance, who is my nominee for the worst and most clueless person in America. So who exactly is Emily Lance of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Well, Emily Lance is is a young woman who on the 4th of July thinks it would be a good idea <clears throat> to take an American flag, put it across a toilet, take a, a funnel like a strainer, and pee on the American flag through the, the strainer. All right? So... You got the toilet, you got the flag over the toilet, you've got her peeing through a strainer onto the American flag. Now you might say, well, Jeff, that, I, I agree, that sounds like an odd idea, but but how does anyone know about it? Because because this is 2017, and she takes a YouTube video of her urinating on the American flag on the fourth of July in this particular fashion. All right. Then, showing the impulse control of a fruit fly, she not only decides to urinate on the American flag in this fashion, she not only decides to, uh, again, film herself essentially urinating on the American flag in this fashion, but then she posts the video of her urinating on the American flag in this fashion. Now, I, 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 I did not... I, we're, we're not going to the, the, actually what ended up happening is it ended up getting taken down. But there, there's all sorts of screen captures out there. And if you if you want to see this, I mean, you, you I don't know that you can still find the actual video, but there's lots of still pictures of this that are up there. Her name is Emily Lance. It's it's nothing to see other than what I have described her urinating on the American flag in this particular fashion. She then posts. it. All right. So what happens then? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those deals where if you poke a bear, the bear is going to get upset. There's just all sorts of things for which if you do stuff um, trying to get a reaction, there is going to be a reaction. So after Emily Lance posts this video of her urinating on the American flag in this fashion on the 4th of July, she then goes public complaining that she is receiving hostile emails and death threats. Now, there's never an excuse to give her death threats, but as far as hostile emails, I mean, it's lady, what what did you think was going to happen? Um, she captioned the video, 
F your nationalism, F your country, F your stupid effing flag. Although she did not say F. (laughs) All right. Now, if, if you caption a video in that fashion and then show yourself peeing on the American flag on the 4th of July, well, you're going to get a reaction. The way the story is that um, apparently, I mean, she claimed that um, there was a $3,000 bounty, bounty put on her head on Craigslist. Um, no such posts confirming this appeared in, in uh, on Craigslist. But after she gets this hostile reaction, here's what she says. Freedom of speech expression means that I'm entitled to do and say as I please, even if you don't like it, so long as I'm not physically hurting anyone. And know your precious feelings don't count. That's your problem, she writes on Facebook. What don't you people understand? You're celebrating freedom while damning me for doing the same. You can't have it both ways, freedom or none. Practice what you preach or shut the blank up. Her parents must be so proud. Her proud, yeah, right, exactly. This, Hondo, this is exactly the type of woman that you want to take home to mother. You know, if if mother is Bonnie out of Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's like, all right, and then, then she is upset. She's going public, you know, complaining. She says, people are wishing illness, harm, and suffering upon her. No kidding. <laughs> Okay, all right. Gee, what a surprise. You film yourself urinating on the American flag, and people wish illness, harm, and suffering upon her. She says she's upset. It's just a piece of fabric. She claims it's so sad that people don't realize how brainwashed they are. I'm gross for peeing on a symbol. Look at yourselves. You people epitomize all that is foul. Um... Additionally, she said that her father, who had no part in the video and doesn't agree with her actions, told her his place of work has been receiving death threats. Request for comment not immediately received. Okay, here, here is the bottom line. And this, this young lady who clearly uh, needs a lesson in what would be the word class, what she needs to understand is, yes, you, you have the freedom to do things, but there are reactions, and then there's going to, there are going to be reactions to the things you do. And the First Amendment gives you the right to take a YouTube video of you peeing on the American flag on the 4th of July and insulting all the people who respect the flag and the people who fought for the flag and the people who have family members who've died for the flag. Yes, you have the right to pee on that flag. But you know what? Those people have the right to respond to you. And yes, if they wish you illness... Um, if they are not happy with you, if they wish you suffering, well, um, sorry, lady, that's what you get. It is, in fact, a free country. And when you have a certain action, don't be surprised if there is a reaction that you don't necessarily like. Emily Lance, worst person and most clueless person. She's shocked that there was a negative reaction. Worst person and most clueless person in America as of today's date. When we come back, three big things. We start with the controversy involving CNN. Stick around. It's 842. It's time for me to fly. It's 845. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That is REO Speedwagon. Yes, the woman's name is Emily Lance. A lot of people say, how do I see these pictures? Uh, you know, my, my advice would be, 
you know, save the effort to try to find them. You don't want, you know, you'll never get that five minutes of your life back. But her name is Emily Lance out of Philadelphia. Kelly and Mech one says she's no Mech, she's no lady. Um, but yes, she's the one who decided I'm going to film myself urinating on the American flag on the Fourth of July. Post a note um, to the general public, essentially saying that she hates all of us. Fill in the blank. And she hates the country. And then she wonders why. She gets a negative reaction. It's shocked. People are wishing me ill will and suffering. Um, uh, no kidding, dear. No kidding. All right. Big story number one. The CNN-Trump controversy continues to bubble over. But this time, CNN is the one that is getting a lot of criticism. Let's review the bidding on this. Um, the other day, President Trump... Uh, retweets this 29-second video. It's old film of him back when he was at WrestleMania more than a decade ago. At the end of a particular match, he goes and he grabs Vince McMahon, who's the owner of the, the World Wrestling Federation or World Wrestling Enterprise Entertainment, whatever they call it now, WWE, and he body slams him. All right, So that's the 28-second that's the video. It's been around forever. Somebody takes... Vince McMahon's head and superimposes like a, a, a balloon, like a word balloon that you'd find in comic strips and put CNN on it. And so the video is Donald Trump um, body slamming CNN. This is after the controversy, the numerous controversies involving Trump and CNN. Um, the, the, it then, in fact, goes viral. We talked about this on Monday's show. You have the complete and total, in my opinion, hysterical overreaction by uh, a number of what we'll call the mainstream media outlets say, oh, this is awful. The president is promoting violence towards reporters, which is is ridiculous. It's a parody video that is just, I think, completely and totally absurd and shows um, the hysteria for everybody who disagrees with President Trump's use of social media. And I happen to be one of them. It also shows the hysterical overreaction that you get from elements of the mainstream media. All right, so CNN decides they're going to try to find out where this video originated from. And it's been around apparently for a, a while. There is a the guy on, on Reddit, which is, you know, again, one of the alternative sort of websites, who had produced it. And apparently the guy who did this also has a history of posting racist posts and anti-Semitic posts and things like that. Now, what that means as far as President Trump, you know, who, who knows? I mean, the argument is, so sees, you know, Trump is, this guy is a racist or an anti-Semite, and, and, and Trump is using the video that shows that he's a racist and anti-Semite. Again, uh, an hysterical overreaction to what's going on. But CNN is able to identify the, the guy through a relatively extensive series of, of searches. But th this shows CNN's thin-skinned. Who is it that produced this video? We have to find out. So they find a reporter that does it. Um, they then identify who the person is. What they then do is instead of, I mean, they apparently found it newsworthy enough to conduct the investigation to try to determine the identity of the person who created this in the first place. So they now say they know who it is. They say, however, we have made the decision that we're not going to publish his name as long as he apologizes and promises not to produce any other similar sort of postings. No more comments that we find offensive. Otherwise, we are, in fact, going to, you know, out him. You know, we are going to reveal his identity um, if he reneged on his apology. All right, 414. 799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
Ted Cruz out of Texas, um, he's citing uh, Georgia's law prohibit, prohibiting theft by extortion. Um, he's claiming that, you know, CNN um, is threatening essentially to disseminate this person's name unless, you know, he complies with what they tell him to do, apologize, not doing any sort of uh, postings. And they claim that, hey, this is uh, this is blackmail. And a number of other people are saying this is extortion as well. Do something that we tell you or else we will reveal damaging information about you. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is CNN guilty of extortion? Did they handle this situation properly or did they manage to make Whatever, whether you want to think this is a bad situation or a non-story, did they manage to make it substantially worse by deciding we're not going to disclose the man's identity, but we're going to make him apologize, and we've threatened him that if he does anything we don't like in the future, we'll change our mind. 414-799-1620. I, you know, I don't know if it is extortion, but CNN... CNN, in my opinion, has completely and totally mishandled this matter. And if I was a journalist, whatever that means nowadays, I would be completely and totally embarrassed. I think CNN has grossly mishandled this. I will explain why in detail. But what do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did CNN screw up? We discuss next. It's 851. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That is, of course, Tom Petty, night two at Summerfest on the main stage. She confronted a man on a plane when she caught him fat-shaming her in a text. Was he out of line, or should she have minded her own business as to what he was texting during the discussion during Scafidi and Billstead? 12.07, as they broadcast live from Summerfest, sponsored by Dr. Michaels, Oconomowoc Dental Care. All right, um, CNN... You've got the Trump releases, this video that was produced by somebody that shows him body slamming the Vince McMahon character, except the word CNN is over superimposed on McMahon's head. Uh, CNN gets very, very upset about this. Oh, this is promoting violence against journalists. That's nuts. Um, and then decides that they're going to try to find who is behind this. They, they want to find who produced this. So they assign a team or at least one investigative reporter to track this down. They identify the guy. They then do an article saying that they're not publishing the person's name because he's a private citizen who has issued an extensive apology. An apology. I'm sorry, CNN. Showed his remorse by saying he's taken down all his offending posts and because he said he is not going to repeat this ugly behavior on social media again. In addition, he said his statement could serve an example for others not to do the same. We reserve the right to publish his identity should any of that change. And a number of people are interpreting this as essentially CNN trying to blackmail someone. Gee, if you don't do what we say, if you don't do what we like, we are going to publicly out you and cause you to be embarrassed. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, look, I, I don't I don't know I, I don't know that I think this is blackmail or extortion within a legal sense. I do think it is not something that a mainstream media outlet should engage in. It is either newsworthy or it is not. 
If it is newsworthy, you run the story, you publish the guy's name. If it's not newsworthy, okay, then you let it drop. Clearly, this is a thin-skinned network who didn't like the fact that they were being mocked, so they decide to get be. let's find out who this is. They put their resources behind it, and then they decide, well, okay, we're going to... We're going to say, all right, we're the media, and if you don't do what we want you to do, well, then we're going to expose you. Well, all right, do your job one way or the other. Ben in Fond du Lac. Ben, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Ben. Um, I do think it is blackmail. Uh, it, it's very close, if not. Um, but I feel like he should probably still be outed. Like, if you look on social media and Facebook and stuff, it's amazing how many racist comments mm-hmm. there are and people actually put their name to them and i i just feel like that's that's not a good thing and those people should kind of be yeah. outed uh, even on social media i mean you have to you have to you have to own it if you put it up you. right and, yeah. and see and i will tell you about i mean i ha- if, if cnn thinks who I mean, if they think it is newsworthy, whoever created this. Now, you know, what, what, I mean, obviously they wanted to find out who it was that was mocking them. They wanted to do that. But if they think that is newsworthy, then I'm with you. Then run with it. All right. If that's the idea, you want to expose this, whatever, that, that's fine. But this idea that, well, now we found this out. We're a news outlet. We're not going to report it if you do what we say. That's, I think, where I have the problem with it. Yeah, when the president tweets you, I think it is newsworthy. So right, well, exactly. And again, I'm not. I'm. I mean, thanks for call. I am not. If CNN that that's a news decision they make. Let's see who it was that was behind this in the first place. Let's see what we can find out about them. Then they go in. They find okay that the person's posted these anti-Semitic things. Aha! Now we've got them. All right. If if you think that that whole process is newsworthy. Fine. I mean, I'm not sitting in the newsroom. I'm not the news director. You get to make that decision as to whether it is. My beef, though, is this idea that we are now, though, going to be the ones, we're going to be the arbitrators of this. We have found you out. And if you now do anything else in the future that we don't like, if you retract your apology, if you go ahead and embarrass us moving forward, or you do anything that we don't like, well, then we're going to use the power that we have as the press, and we're going to expose you. I mean, that's to me, that's not right. It's either a story or it's not. And you report it if you think it is a newsworthy story. You don't set yourself up as, gee, we're going to be the arbitrators of good taste, and we're going to try to, you know, get these people, um, you know, we're going to try to force them. Now, again, I, I think that there, you know, things are public records. If you think this is newsworthy, that that's fine. You you go ahead and you do it. And by the way, there there are consequences for public behavior. I mean, that's what I was talking about with the lead-off story with this woman who decides to urinate on the American flag and then post a video of it, and she wonders why she's getting hostile stuff. I mean, there are consequences for doing these types of things, and if people think that this guy was terrible and awful, well, okay, then make it clear. But, I mean, I think CNN looks cowardly, and they look they, they appear to both look cowardly and acting the bully at the same time, if that is possible. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, a controversy in Kenosha, again, about the 4th of July. If you want to see the image of what is generating all the controversy, if you text the word POTTY, P-O-T-T-Y, to 414-799-1620, we'll send you a link. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner.
908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, if you want to see the story and a photo of what I'm about to talk about, 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you text us the word potty, we, we will send it to you. All right, over, we, we've just come off a, a long holiday weekend. I mean, I think for, for many people, um, Fourth of July holiday weekend started like last Friday afternoon. It, it ran through Tuesday. Fourth of July, it's just to me, it's it's just so incredibly. It is the ultimate. It is the ultimate American holiday. There's just no question about it. And I think it's unique in many respects. You've got the fireworks shows. You've got all the parades. You've got all the activities in the different parks, and then you've got, then you've got cluelessness. Now down in Kenosha. At Harbor Park, which is very, very nice, very nice park in um, in Kenosha, what they do is um, Sunday through Tuesday, so through the second through the fourth, they they have a celebration called Celebrate America. So people come, they gather in the the park, they gather in the town square. Not uncommon, you know, it goes on all the time. Well, what happens is, in all these different communities, when you know that you're going to have the parades or you're going to have the events, what you need to do is you need to make arrangements. And so one of the things they do is they say, hey, you know, people got to go to the bathroom. So what we're going to do is, as part of the, these festivities, we're, we're going we're gonna to bring in porta-potties, you know, the, the little blue things that, you know, people, people can use. All right? So we're going to bring in the porta-potties. And we're going to put the porta-potties in convenient locations so that people could use them. All right, with me so far, makes a lot of sense. Good planning, lots of people, they need a spot to relieve themselves, so we bring in the porta-potties. All right, here is is the story. Um, at, at Harbor Park, there is an area where they have a, a monument. It's the Public Safety Monument. And the Public Safety Monument honors the sacrifices of men and women who died serving Kenosha County as part of the police, the sheriff, and the fire department. All right, so it's it's a monument recognizing people who lie, who died in the line of duty. It's kind of like a little obelisk, and then it says, you know, um, on, on duty in memoriam. So it, it's pretty much of a, it's a, it's a solemn tribute. It's a tribute to people who have lost their lives. In front of the memorial, there are, are bricks, and the, the bricks um, recognize um, names of various um, local officers. So people's names are on the bricks that are in front of the, uh, the monument itself. So you can perhaps see where the story is going. They deliver the porta-potties. They're trying to figure out where to place them. Now, the guy that runs the porta potty service—it's Pat's porta potties—he says, "Yeah, we put up the portable uh, toilets, but the city told us where where to put them. We just do what the city of Kenosha tells us. We meet them out here every year in the morning, and they drive us to every location. So the city tells us where to put them." Well, somebody at, at the city or involved with this event or whatever decided that the spot to dump several of these porta potties, at least four, were right in front of the monument honoring the slain law enforcement fire department uh, officials. So that if you're going to be using the porta potties, you are essentially standing on on the bricks <laughs> that that have the names of 
the the officers who have been recognized. Um, in addition, if you want to kind of see the porta potty, depending on the view, the, see the monument, you, you can't because well, the porta potties block them from a couple different angles. So the the story on today's TMJ four. The widow of a fallen Kenosha County Sheriff's deputy is hurt and demanding an apology after portable toilets were placed near a law enforcement memorial during the 4th of July celebration. There are now only outlines and trash left where the portable toilets stood along the bricks of the Kenosha Public Safety Monument. I come here all the time. They shouldn't have done it, said Amy Fabiano, pausing to choke back tears. It's disrespectful. Her husband's name has been etched into the memorial for 10 years. They protected and served the community. She shakes her head, seeing the mess they left behind. You put porta-potties, and there's garbage all over. Her husband served as a deputy for 18 years before he was killed during a traffic stop. Um... Her daughter is the one who's told her what happened. I got a call. Mom, how could they have done this? She could not give her a good answer. Um, A number of other people extremely upset as well. These people on the memorial gave their lives for this community. Um, My name, along with my husband's, are on the bricks that are sitting where these portable toilets are. Everyone who has a brick there devoted their lives to the city of Kenosha. It is a slap in the face where the toilets are. Twin Lakes police officer Jamie Keaton said the toilets were insulting. He said the city should keep in mind the country's fallen brothers and sisters when planning for public events. One of our officers from Salem just got put on a plaque this year. It's very insulting. Um, The mayor says it's an oversight. It's an oversight, and and we'll figure out a a different spot to put them. It was not intentionally placed there. Well, well, yeah, it was intentionally placed there. I mean, somebody from the city drove around with the people from the portable toilet company and decided where they were going to put them. Now, they might not have intentionally meant to, I don't know, put them immediately adjacent to the law enforcement memorial, but they were, in fact, intentionally put there. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that the city is saying, okay, we're not going to do this again, but my bigger issue is how can this happen in the first place? How can people be so completely and totally clueless as to not realize that you don't stick half a dozen portable toilets immediately adjacent to a memorial that honors fallen law enforcement or public servants. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The mayor says, well, it was an oversight. No, it's not going to happen again. Well, okay, I wouldn't expect it to happen again, but how can this happen in the first place? Should somebody... Should somebody have figured out that this is the wrong place to put these in the first place? Are the people who are upset with this decision, are they overreacting to it? I mean, after all, people got to go. Are they overreacting, or is this a legitimate beef? How do you put porta-potties this close to a law enforcement memorial? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take Absolutely, people have a right to be outraged. And I think, again, the big question is, who would be dumb enough, clueless enough, to not realize that this is not where you put porta-potties? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you want to join us, it is 916. This is Jeff Wagner. I stuck around. 
Keegan and Sarah performing tonight at the Miller Light Oasis at Summerfest. Um, we have a text here. Um, you can't fix stupid. Y- yeah. I mean, see, that, that that's the thing about the, this story to me that is just so absolutely mind-boggling that you apparently have the guy from the, the portable toilet company driving around with somebody from the city of Kenosha, and they're telling him where you put the portable toilets. Okay, I get it. I'm all in favor of portable toilets for these public events. But then you decide that, all right, we're going to take a half dozen of them, and we're going to put them essentially right next door to the law enforcement memorial so that people who have to use them are standing on the bricks that honor law people in the community, uh, blocks the view of the law enforcement memorial and there's nobody from the porta potta company the porta potta company there's nobody from the city of kenosha that has the common sense to say okay maybe you know maybe we don't want to put the porta potties i don't know right in front of the vietnam veterans wall maybe we need to find another location for them 414-799-1620 um robert in new berlin robert you're first good morning yeah good morning jeff thanks for taking my call yes sir uh, say we have a an annual Fourth of July celebration here that we just finished in New Berlin too, and it's a similar. We have a similar situation. There's a a veterans memorial nearby, with uh, you know names uh, on bricks and that type of thing too. Um, we would never ever think about putting <laughs> porta potties anywhere near the veterans memorial for this this festival that we just had. We got fifty thousand people out here uh, for that three days. Sure. Sure. I mean, right. And, and right. And anybody with any common sense would recognize there's this universe of places that you can put the porta potties. You don't. You don't place them in that proximity. And if you look at this, it, it, they're right. It's right on top of the veterans memorial. And of course, you know, people are saying, well, you know, you got trash that's there. It's just like what? What were people thinking? Or in this case, what were they not thinking? I have no idea, Jeff, and uh, I'm just glad we've, we've got people here that have much more common sense than that. Well, exactly. Thanks for calling. And again, the mayor, it's really interesting, his statement. Now, he wasn't returning calls from Channel 4, at least as of the time of the story, um, to the Kenosha News. There's not an apology either. I mean, he, he's like, well, um, it's an oversight. The toilets will be placed somewhere else next year. We'll make sure that it doesn't happen again. It was not intentionally placed there. Well, Mr. Mayor, yeah, it was intentionally placed there. It, yes, yes, somebody from the city working in conjunction with the places that drop off these portable toilets made the conscious decision that they were going to put these there. So now, did you intend to be disrespectful to the memorial? Well, okay, may, maybe that wasn't the intent, but don't say that these weren't intentionally placed there. This was not an accident. This was a site that was selected by somebody working for the city in conjunction with the people who put the toilets wherever they are. And it is amazing to me that nobody apparently seemed to think that this might be an inappropriate spot. Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. You know, this just, uh, there's a segment of our society that just, I don't know, they've never been taught respect or they don't understand respect, you know, particularly for people that have put themselves in harm's way. Uh, you know, you, you see it uh, in this example here. Uh, I was at a Fourth of July parade, and when the color guard went past, I put my hand over my heart. I looked around. I was like the lone one in the crowd. I mean, it's just people just don't understand that anymore. What uh, They take it for granted, and they just haven't been taught it, and it's just... Uh, I think the guy that did this for the for the city there uh, should apologize, and I think the city should bring him in for some remedial training. 
as to why you don't do something like that. Well, well right. I mean, because again, I, I understand the mayor says, "Well, we we didn't, you know, we didn't we didn't mean anything by this." But you know, <laughs> you're, you're right. Okay, it might be all right. This is just like I say, we don't put these in front of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington. You don't put them adjacent to the to the law enforcement memorial. And the fact that it didn't occur to anybody, oh, there's some open grass here. Okay, let's let's do it. We can fit six right in there without thinking about it. It just it just frustrates me that, that people yeah. don't think these things through. Respect is getting to be a lost value with some people. Uh, no, well, it's really it, sad commentary. It is. I mean, thanks. And again, and I look, and I I understand. Is this the biggest story? No, not necessarily. But it does demonstrate some of these larger points. That, number one, just the, the complete and total cluelessness that is out there. And you know what I. I understand why some of these people are so incredibly upset. In, you know, let, let's take the example here. You know, you have a woman whose husband died in the line of duty, who is memorialized on this memorial. You know, your, their their daughter goes to this event and they see, oh, gee, there's all sorts of people crowded around the memorial. That's good. People are looking at this. Oh no, they're not crowded around the memorial for that. They're lined up to use the porta potties that are six feet away from the memorial. Who? thinks about this kind of stuff i mean it's just or doesn't think about it and again the, the mayor oh well i don't hear any apologies coming out it was it was an oversight well yeah it was a heck of an oversight and somebody needs to get their head out of whatever part of the anatomy their head was stuck in and, and figure out how to make sure that stuff like this does not continue to happen it's nine twenty four. this is jeff wagner i met a girl she made me smile she made me wait she crossed the street she crossed my heart she fixed her dress she bit her lip it's 926, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That's William Michael Morgan, who's performing tonight at the U.S. Cellular Connection Stage. Um, this is Thursday, only four more nights of Summerfest. So if you haven't been down there, um, get on down there. Give yourself a, you know, give yourself a chance. Um, it's wonderful. I'm going down this afternoon, as a matter of fact, to um, check it out. Um, let's see. Got an email from uh, one of our listeners. Just listening to your discussion on the porta potties located near a service memorial. As an elected official in local community and instrumental in the design of our new veterans memorial in Glendale, one of the key items that I fought for was to have the names of veterans in a location that would be would not be desecrated. To me, even having service members' names, regardless of their police, fire, or armed forces, imprinted in bricks that are walked on, is not proper. Let alone having portable toilets located closely. No community that honors their service veterans should ever have anything of the nature of a toilet close to this type of monument. Amen. Just a- a- amen. You know, what What could people possibly have been thinking? The Brewers remain in first place as we near the All-Star break, and it's fair to say that the Chicago Cubs have had something to do with that. What's happened to the defending champs? Matt Pauley goes behind enemy lines for an inside scoop at 8.35 this evening during Brewers Weekly, live from Summerfest, sponsored by Dr. Michael's Oconomowoc Dental Care. You know, here's my one beef, and it's not with the Brewers team. It's actually with those of us who are Brewers fans. Believe it or not, this is a first-place team. They are playing good, exciting, fun baseball. They're in first by three-and-a-half games. Attendance is 30,000 behind where they were last year. Last year, they were, I think, 11 games under 500. Now they're seven games above 500. And, you know, through the same number of games, 30,000 fewer people. Now, they still draw pretty well. But this is a team, I mean, I'm telling you, Miller Park, 
Miller Park. This is a great, this is a wonderful sports city. Miller Park should be packed every night watching this team. Now, I understand what happens is a lot of times tickets are, tickets are sold based on how the team performed last year. So, you know, you had a bad year last year, and so, okay, maybe people don't buy as many tickets in advance. But I'm telling you, um, you know, they're, they're gone f- until the All-Star break. They, they come back um, for a homestand starting a week from Friday. There is no reason why all three of those games over that homestand should not be sold out. I mean, I'm telling you, this is a fun team. I was counting. I think they've got about 30 or 31 home games left, and... I was going. I made a commitment to do my part. I said I'm going to go to at least five games. I'm going to. I'm going to go to at least five games because you want to support this team because they're playing such great baseball. It's just stunning to me that again, thirty thousand fewer people this year have gone to see this winning good baseball team. So all of us Milwaukee baseball fans, we need to get off our chunky butts and we need to get out to Miller Park and start rooting off on the team because they're playing really good ball. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, it's big thing number three, United Airlines behaving badly again. I'll tell you the story and get your reaction. Nine thirty four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. This is AWOL Nation performing tonight at the Uline Warehouse at Summerfest. Four days remain. The Brewers looked at a little more separation between themselves and the Chicago Cubs at the top of the division standings. Today the two teams clash at Wrigley. Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle will have every pitch for you here on WTMJ beginning at twelve forty five this afternoon. This game is not on your schedule. This is the 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 non rain out rain out. You will remember well, gosh, was it about a month or so ago? Um, now, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, uh, the Brewers were hot. The Cubs were not. It's a, I think it was a Saturday game, as, as I recall. It wasn't raining, or at least um, it wasn't raining hard, and the Cubs canceled the game hours before it was supposed to occur. And it didn't rain, or if it was raining, it stopped raining. It was a perfectly nice Saturday afternoon. There was no reason at all to cancel the game. Some people think that the Cubs just didn't want to play that day. And so as a result, you now have the Brewers who, instead of having an off day like they wanted, they've got a bus down to Chicago to play the game. little bit of added incentive. And the Brewers are hot again, and the Cubs still aren't. So maybe there'll be some motivation as well. But you can hear the game here. Our coverage starts at 1245. Okay, let me back into big story number three, because I... I've had something like this happen before. When I, after I got done with law school, but before graduation, there was like a week off, and a buddy of mine decided, here's how we'll spend the week off. We'll go to Martinique. <laughs> so we, we were lost. We just thought it was, would be a fun thing. We, we decided to, we went down to Martinique, and we didn't have a lot of money, so we, we kind of did it on the cheap. And I honestly forget the name of the airline that we flew, um, but it's, it's it was it was one of these like budget airlines that has long since gone away. So um, you fly from Chicago to Miami, and then you hop a puddle jumper to to Martinique. Um, but the flight it's Chicago to Miami to San Juan. So that's it. But we get off in Miami. All right. So we we go and we're we're in Martinique for a week, and then we're coming back. And we got to get back because we're we're coming back for graduation, and that would be. It just would not be good on many different levels. So, and, and actually, it wasn't the best vacation I've ever been on. So I'm, I'm just ready to get back. So coming back, we fly from Martinique to Miami, and then it's supposed to be Miami to Chicago. We've got you know, people who are meeting us in Chicago to pick us up. So you know, we get we get to Miami, 
And we're waiting because the flight would be San Juan to Miami, then to Chicago. And we're waiting, and the flight's delayed. And then finally the flight gets in. And then there's this long delay before they let people board. And there's all this scurrying, and you see these emergency medical technicians and people. They're, they're running onto the plane and stuff. And eventually they, they haul this guy off. They, they bring somebody off in a stretcher. And the flight attendants are say, saying, well, well he, he's just drunk. He passed out drunk. Now, as God is my witness... I have seen drunk and I have seen dead. This guy is not drunk. He's dead. He died on the flight from San Juan to Miami. Okay. All right. But so they, 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 they don't want to tell everybody, anybody that he's died. But I'm watching him. They haul him off. He's dead. <laughs> he, he's, he's dead. He, he's not sobering up. He's not coming back. So they haul him off. All right. So we get on the plane. And again, there, if there's people on there from, from San Juan. We, we get on the plane, and I go up to, to my seat that I have reserved for quite a while, and there's somebody sitting in my seat. So I go up with my tickets, and I, I point to the guy, and I say, you're in my seat. Get out. <laughs> and I was probably a little bit nicer, but at this point in time, I'm not sure I was much nicer than that. You're in my seat. All right. And then he reaches in. He pulls out a ticket, and he's got the same ticket. He's got the ticket for my seat. So we now have a, a controversy. And so the flight attendant comes up, and her response is, oh, double booking. This happens all the time. <laughs> I said, well, okay, it doesn't happen to me. What, what are we going to do? And she says, well, the flight is completely full, so you, you, you're going to have to wait. The next flight is 24 hours from now. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. Wait, I've got to graduate from law school. We've got these people coming. They're picking us up. I, I've got a ticket. You know, I've got a seat. I, I'm here. And so we, we then have a relatively animated discussion because I paid for this. I've reserved this month in advance. And I, you know, nowadays, who knows what they do? So we're going back and forth and going back and forth about the seat. And, of course, the guy who's in the seat, he ain't getting out of the seat. You know, he's, he, he realizes where this is going. I'm the one that doesn't have the seat, so it, it's my problem. So we go back and forth for a little while. And then all of a sudden the light goes on because somebody, the light bulb comes on. The dead guy that they hauled off, well, he doesn't need his seat. So they stick me in the dead guy's seat in the back of the plane. And I remember we're, we're, I'm sitting in, the, it's like this middle seat in the back of the plane, and the guy has just died in this seat. And I, I do remember, for those of you who are spiritual out there, I do remember sitting in the back seat of this plane thinking, you know, if this, if this thing goes down, if this plane goes down, and I meet my maker, and God is going to come and just say, Jeff, how many different signs could we have given you? The flight was late. We double booked your seat. The dead guy died. You sat in the dead guy's seat. How many more warning signs could we have given you to tell you not to get on the plane? Anyways, I, I, so as you could tell, that, that story has stuck with me, but it's, it's absolutely true. So, I, I mean, I'm flying in the dead guy's seat. All right, I bring that up because apparently this, this just does not happen in 1982. It still happens today. Here is the story. Okay, last week, um, it's a woman who she's a middle school teacher from Hawaii, and she's traveling across the country, Hawaii to Boston. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine how long a flight that is? So she's she's traveling from Hawaii to Boston, and she decides she's going to take her her 27-month-old son with her. So she's flying with a toddler. She buys a ticket for the, the toddler. So, I mean, the boy is, well, he's relatively big. I mean, I, I've seen pictures of him. So he's 27 months old. She, she's in the window seat. The kid is in the middle seat. 
They get on the plane in Hawaii. They don't have direct flights from Hawaii to Boston. So they fly from Hawaii to Houston. Now, my understanding of the story is there's not a plane change. There's just a layover. It flies from you know Boston to Houston, and then it's going to go from uh, from Hawaii to um, Houston, and then it goes from Houston to Boston. So she's on the plane, you know, gets on with the kid. Kid sits in the middle seat, um, no problem in the first leg. So then they're they're in Houston. They're waiting for the flight from Houston to Boston, and somebody gets on. Um, this was Thursday. Somebody gets on the plane, and just like me in Miami years and years ago, comes up and says, uh, that, that seat where your kid is, that's my seat. And she says, well, no, it's, it's not your seat. It's, it's my child's seat. Um, and the guy says, no, um, that, that's, that, that's, not, that, that's not the case. Here, I, I was flying standby, and you know, they, they gave me that seat. I've got a ticket for that seat. So then you know, the flight attendant comes out, and long story short, what the airline says happened is when the woman got on the plane with her son in Hawaii, gave them both tickets, United Airlines apparently failed to scan the $1,000 ticket for the kid. So the, yeah, the, the round-trip ticket, how this is $1,000. Yeah, it was $1,000 round-trip for the kid. All right? So so the, the guy who's flying standby got his ticket for 75 bucks. That's another story. So, but anyways, the, their story is, you know, you go up, you get on the plane, you, you give them the tickets, and some gate agent apparently failed to scan the, the ticket for the kid. So the system showed that the kid never took the flight, so they canceled his entire flight. They, they, he's not on there, so they canceled it. So then they sold the guy the for seventy five bucks the standby seat. Well, all right. So United Airlines has made that mistake. The flight is, of course, full. United Airlines says, "Well, they're sorry. There, there's nothing that that we can do. You can either get off the plane, and we can try to reschedule you somewhere along the line, or." You can fly with this 27-month-old child, with this toddler, in your lap. And again, I've seen pictures. This is not a tiny kid. This is a pretty decent-sized kid. And so, now, you know, the Federal Aviation Committee strongly urges a separate seat for children. Um, She says the kid is 25 pounds. He's half my height. Um, She's trying to get the airline to, again, let the kid have the seat. Um, but they're saying, no, the standby passenger purchased this. So what ends up happening is they fly from Houston to Boston with the kid sitting on her lap, or they're kind of both like trying to share the same airline seat and coach. Can you imagine that? Kind of like wedged in. Um, she says for most of the trip, they were smashed between the plane wall and her son for the three-and-a-half-hour flight to Boston. Um, he was standing up between my ease. Uh, my knees, United says the airline would compensate her as a goodwill gesture. But otherwise, they say, hey, this is just what happened. You're out of luck. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did United handle this right in the first place? The woman has a ticket for her child that she paid over a thousand, about $1,000 for. She's got a seat for the 27-month-old, 25-pound kid. The kid is in that seat. United screws up 
back in Hawaii, apparently, and doesn't scan the ticket. But but they acknowledge that the ticket was, was valid, and yet they refuse to allow the kid to have that seat. 414-799-1620. I have a strong feeling about what should have happened. We discuss next, but what do you think? I mean, United let the standby passenger on instead of saying, I'm sorry, there's a double booking thing, and making him get off the plane and giving him back his $75, United essentially made the woman sit with the kid on her lap after she'd paid $1,000 for the seat. What do you think should have happened? It's 945. We discuss next. This is Jeff Wagner, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 947, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTM. This is, of course, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers performing tonight at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. Their real estate buzzwords, one of a kind, as is, motivated seller. But what do they really mean? Find out with John McCure on Wisconsin's Afternoon News today at 450 as he broadcasts live from Summerfest, sponsored by Dr. Michaels, Oconomowoc Dental Care. I swear, I, I cannot believe that airlines could handle this in this particular fashion. Regardless of whether or not the gate agent screwed up in Hawaii, the woman has a valid ticket for her 27-month-old kid. He sat in the seat next to her from the flight from Hawaii to Houston. They're going on to Boston. He's got the valid ticket. They screw up. They sell a standby ticket for 75 bucks to somebody else, so they've double-sold the seat. To give the guy what should have, in my opinion, should have happened is the man who was second in line, um, he should have either had to find another seat or take another flight. You don't make this lady sit with the kid on her lap if you've got, I don't know, if you've got any common sense at all. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Katie in Burlington. Katie, good morning. Good morning. Um, the flight flying is challenging and stressful enough for people. And I don't do it very often. And hearing these stories scares the heck out of me to ever do it because I have a child with a disability and yeah. I, I haven't taken them on a flight. But the, the, their sole business is to have, and they, people pay big bucks to, to make a flight safe right. and enjoyable. And this was neither enjoyable nor safe for that child. Right. And the what? mom did, and the mom did nothing wrong. This isn't even a discretionary thing. The mom has paid a thousand dollars so her twenty-seven month old kid can sit in a seat next to her. And United screwed up in the first place. So they, it seems to me, Katie, they made things complete. They, they took a oh, bad situation and made it worse. Yeah, run, learn how to run a business. This is your business. The people pay top dollar to experience, either out of necessity or out of enjoyment. Run your business. Get your ship together. If someone makes a mistake on your end, you don't make a person, a customer suffer for it. It, it. it seems there's no communication. It seems like there is is a broken system, and it seems like the, the customer is just treated horribly in so many different ways. I, I just I can't. Yep. Any yep. other business would be out of business. No, a- a- absolutely. Get your ship together. That's what she said. <laughs> I, w- I was getting ready to hit the dump button, but she said, get your ship together. That's what I... You, <laughs> you get your ship together. Thanks for the call, Katie. Yeah, that's 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 sort of... that. That's that's it. You know, but I mean, look, this is an easy... Th- this is an easy solution. The guy is flying standby. He has no right to the seat. You have made a mistake... And you've you've double sold the thing. You, you, it's a seventy five dollar ticket. He's flying standby. You ask him to get off the plane, and you you give him you know say okay, you're going standby on the next one four one four seven. You you don't 
you don't refuse to honor the, the ticket. Let's talk to Norm and Racine. Norm, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. With all this TSA stuff where you have to check in and have all your ID, how is the plane even allowed to take off without yeah. all the tickets scanned? Yeah, yeah. Norm, see, I, I was thinking that, too, because before the flight leaves in the first place, they do a they do a head count, and if it does, if the number of people on the plane don't match the number of tickets that they have, they're not supposed to fly in the first place. And you know, if the kid if the kid wasn't scanned, he would he should have showed up somehow. I mean, I, I I right, I'm with you. How could that have even happened in the first place? I mean, he would have been scanned when they came through the TSA checkpoint, right? Right, and he would have been scanned when they well, right, and and but but regardless, okay, let's say it wasn't scanned. Then you have one extra passenger on the plane. The count between the tickets and the number of people on the plane, the head count, should not have worked out. I mean, it's just it's it's mind-boggling. No, thanks. So. I'm I'm with you as well. And I guess this it's kind of a scary thing. How how can you? I mean, in today's day and age, how easy is it to get you know uh, kids on there? Now, I mean, I don't know if United allows. 27-month-old kids to fly for free in the first place? I, I wouldn't think so. But but uh, again, <laughs> how, how does this happen? And even at the end, once you realize that there is a problem, it's like I started off the story about when I was in that double booking thing. I, as, as irritated as I was, now I wasn't flying standby, but I, I, I understand that I don't have a better right to the guy who's gotten the tickets. I, I'm the I'm the newcomer on this 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 thing. I'm the one that has the, the particular problem. Let's talk to Bob in Richfield. Bob, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Well I was gonna say something to the similar to what your other caller just said about the safety issues of scanned tickets. There if he obviously had a ticket, um, there should have been a, an issue there and his baggage or her baggage, or whatever, should have been taken off the plane. Yeah, yeah. Um, How do you get on? The other thing is, though, they they should have taken the guy with standby and, and said, "Hey, you know, there was a, there was an issue. We have to take you off." I flew United from Chicago to Hawaii last month. Never again will I fly United Airlines. It's a nine and a half hour flight. Yeah. The trip out there, they came by one time with something to drink after we were in the air for about forty five minutes. Other than that, we never saw the stewardess with something to drink for you know almost nine hours. It was horrible. So my son finally had to go up and ask for something to drink. Yeah. So he did, and then he got yelled at because he didn't have his shoes on. <laughs> he had socks on, but he didn't have his shoes on. So he said the lady yelled at him, and she said, well, we came around with drinks already. And he said, well, that was several hours ago. I'm really thirsty. Can I get something to drink? And they finally gave, you know, they right. did give him a soda. But that was that was the only time. They came through with, you know, trash bags and stuff. Nine and a half hour flight. Drinks, a nine and a half hour flight. And no bag of pretzels, no right. nothing. Just yeah. one soda you got, or if you wanted to buy a drink. But that was one time, and it was just, I'll never again when I fly. And they don't have, they don't even have TVs on there. Right. Nothing. No. You have to either use your, uh, your iPad, or you have to rent an iPad from them to watch TVs. Then their uh, Wi-Fi didn't work. So we had nothing for nine and a half hours. Right. So it was the flight. So, well, at least hopefully you had a good time in Hawaii. Thanks. For, no, I mean, there's just so many things that are wrong with this. Now, look, I, I understand that mistakes happen. Look, I, I get that. None of us are perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. You make mistakes. But the question is, how do you deal with it? And I guess that's what strikes me as interesting about the story. Again, I don't understand how the, the, the kid got on in the first place if the ticket scan didn't work and how they do the count. But, but it's his seat. 
how do you let a guy who's flying stand by and you know i mean they, they sold him the ticket but he doesn't have a superior right to it he's paid the 75 bucks you say i'm sorry we've got this mistake we didn't scan this you don't punish the woman who did everything right don in bailey's harbor don you're on 620 wtmj good morning hi jeff uh, besides everything that the united did wrong that's been talked about and i'm a former pilot uh, the FAA regulations state that if you've reached your second birthday, you have to be in a seat. So mm-hmm. the airline is in violation of federal regulations. Hmm. Well, and again, I, I've seen this, this is not a actually, and this isn't a small kid either. This, I mean, he's twenty five pounds. He's got. He's, you would look at him and and you would. It's not like you would automatically assume. Oh, he's only a year old. He right. he looks like he's two or older to me. So. I, you know how did how did they do stuff like this, Don? You know? I don't know, Jeff. It's just so bizarre. It's just such such incompetence, and well, it just seems like the good guys are always the ones that get the short end of the stick. Well, right. I mean, no, that, that and th- so this woman starts complaining, and, and so and the, the flight attendants no help, the pilots are no help, the gate agent is no help, and they're saying, well, the only thing your only choice is. You can essentially fly like this, or you can get off the plane. But by the way, if you get off the plane, the rest of your trip is going to be canceled. The the leg from Houston to Boston, and then your return flight is going to be canceled as well. So you're going to have to rebook the whole thing. So she decides, okay, I'm going to cram the kid in. Again, United Airlines, I, I understand that stuff happens, but my goodness gracious, can't you figure out how to make it right once something does go wrong? All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, an appeals court issues a very, very controversial decision. Volvo ditches gasoline engines. And what does made in America really mean? It's all coming up. Stick around. It's 957. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. In Wisconsin, if you get involved in a, a lawsuit, there are, and let's let's talk about the, the way the law works when it comes to medical malpractice cases, cases where the doctor is alleged to have screwed up, all right? There's two types of damages. There are economic damages, and these are quantifiable damages. It's the um, the amount of medical expenses you have to pay out of pocket. That would be an economic damage. Um, your, your loss of earning capacity, you know, that would be an economic damage. The idea that you, you work at a particular job, you can't work at that job anymore. How, how many years would you have been able to work? How much money are you out? That's an economic damage, something that is quantifiable. Then there are non, what are called non-economic damages. And these are, these are things that, well, they're not readily quantifiable necessarily. Their money, I'm looking at the statute now, money is intended to compensate for pain and suffering, humiliation, embarrassment, worry, mental distress, distress, non-economic effects of a disability, including loss of enjoyment of normal activities, benefits and pleasures of life, and loss of mental or physical health, etc. Loss of consortium, that, that type of thing. Jeff, you really like to play golf. All right. Um, now, as a result of this injury that you have sustained, you you can't play golf anymore. How do you quantify that? It's a non-economic damage. There is a value to it. There, there's no question about it. There's a value to it, but 
how how do you quantify it? It's not like you can sit and say, okay, this is how long you have to retire. This is how much money you make. You can't do the radio show anymore. Here, we can quantify what your future earnings would be. Or this is how much your medical expenses are now, and this is how much your medical expenses are going to be in the future. See, there's, there's different kinds of damages. Now, in Wisconsin, in an effort to try to rein in Rain in health care costs. One of the things that drives increases of costs of health insurance, and it's just it's one of, of many things, has been malpractice verdicts. I mean, across the country, there are some states that it's pretty much like Katie Bar the door when it comes to being able to sue. And and you will have juries, for example, that will have a, a sympathetic a sympathetic plaintiff, somebody who's been the victim of you know something really bad that's happened, and they're going to want to you know do things for them. So you'll have huge damage awards, typically this non-economic damages, the stuff that's impossible to quantify, the the pain and suffering, the things that hey that they feel bad, so let's give them let's give them money. In Wisconsin, the legislature has made a decision that in medical malpractice cases, there is a cap on non-economic damages, pain and suffering, embarrassment, worry, mental distress, all those things. Jeff, you know, you, you've this, this bad thing has happened. You can't, and I'm, I'm not trying to trivialize it, but I'm trying to give examples of what would be a non-economic injury. You know, you, you've suffered this. You're a victim here. You can't play golf anymore. You can't drive a car anymore. You can't do these different things. Wisconsin the legislature has put a cap on non-economic damages of $750,000. So you, you can't have an award larger than that. The economic damages, the stuff that's quantifiable, the medical expenses, the loss of earnings, that's that's whatever it is. But for the non-economic damages, the more difficult things to get your head around, the cap is $750,000. And the thinking behind it is we need to we need to do this to rein in to rein in health care costs because we we've got this malpractice fund that is out there and if you have juries that are awarding tens of millions of dollars, what's gonna happen is the malpractice fund is gonna all the money is gonna be gone out of it. Um, doctors aren't going to want to practice. Healthcare costs are going to go through the roof. That, that's the thinking. So $750,000 is the cap. Well, here, here's a story. There's a, a 57-year-old woman who, and this is, a, this is just, it, it's a horrible story. She ended up having her limbs amputated in 2011 after she got a strep A infection, the kind that causes strep throat and it went undetected, leading to septic shock. The damage caused by the infection led to the amputations. So she brings that this lawsuit, and without the particulars of the lawsuit, don't essentially matter. But I mean, the lawsuit alleges that um, one of the doctors and the doctor's assistant failed to provide her with alternative medical diagnoses that would have led her to pursue other other treatments. So, anyways, case goes to trial. Jury finds for the woman. And what an incredibly sympathetic plaintiff. I mean, this is a horrible thing to have happen. Um, the jury ends up awarding $25-plus million 
to this woman. Um, her economic damages are $8.8 million. Um, but then you've got the, the other damages that are on top of that. Now, keep in mind, the so the jury awards $25 million bucks. The $8.8 million, all right, that's economic damages. She gets that. So then there's the rest. Well, what happens is, even though the jury awards all this money, the law says you can only get $750,000. So the insurance company, they, they pay the $750,000. They pay the economic damages. The woman sues. She says, look, this, this law that caps my non-economic damages at $750,000 is unconstitutional. I should be able to get whatever the jury says I get, you know, plus, I mean, again, it's reviewed by the judge and things like that. But this law that limits me to $750,000, that is unconstitutional. And yesterday, a court of appeals out of Milwaukee agreed with the woman. It was a unanimous decision, even though there was a concurring opinion, saying, right, this cap on damages is unconstitutional. Non-economic damages is unconstitutional. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, to me, there's two issues. First of all, does the legislature have the right to put in caps that limit the amount of these types of damage awards that people can get, these difficult-to-quantify pain and suffering type of things. That's issue number one. And then issue number two is, is $750,000 too low? This woman, clearly incredible suffering. Her her limbs were amputated, for goodness sakes. That's clearly something that, you know, her, her life completely and totally changed and not for the better. Um, the law says you can only get $750,000. Uh, the court says it's unconstitutional. I think I think the, the court is wrong. I think the legislature has the right to cap damages in this case. Whether the legislature is right to cap them at $750,000 is a different story. What do you think? 414-799-1620. Should the woman be entitled to more? And what are the consequences of not having a cap? We discuss next. It's 1016. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That's Tegan and Sarah. They're performing this evening at the Miller Light Oasis. Four days left in Summerfest. Is facial recognition software the next step in airport security? That's exactly the case at Boston's Logan International Airport. Would you support this here in Milwaukee at Mitchell? Discuss with Scafidi and Bill Stett, 1215 today, as they broadcast live from Summerfest, sponsored by Dr. Michaels, Oconomowoc Dental Care. Okay, um, in, in Wisconsin, I understand it's kind of a complicated theory, but really you, you sort of break it down. There's two types of damages in a lawsuit. Economic damages your medical expenses, your the, the amount of money you can't work, so the amount of money you lost from not working or not being able to work moving forward. Those are economic damages, easily quantifiable. Then there's non-economic damages, pain and suffering, loss of consortium, loss of enjoyment. You can't do things that you used to do. In Wisconsin, those non-economic damages, there's a cap. $750,000 in medical malpractice cases. So here you have this woman, um, as a result of medical malpractice, she gets this infection, 
and she ends up having her limbs amputated. A jury gives her like over $8 million in economic damages. No problem with that. Also awards her $16 million in non-economic damages. Um, the, the law says $750,000. An appellate court yesterday said this law is unconstitutional. Um, the, the caps violate equal protection and tosses them out. Cases headed for the Supreme Court. I think the Milwaukee court is wrong. I think that caps are not unconstitutional. Whether the cap at $750,000 is too low, that's a completely different story. John in Burlington. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. And, um, uh, first time I called since you've got your new hours, I'm hoping you're enjoying them. I am enjoying them very much. Even when the alarm goes off at 5 in the morning, I love being up here. Thanks. Uh, that's awesome. First, let me say my situation is nothing like this woman's. I could not imagine something like that. But I, I think they should have caps, too. For that, maybe that's a little low. But I had, was involved in a work accident 10 years ago, and there are really, really small caps on the amount of money that, you know, I was able to recover for... Workers' for compensation, losses. right? Yeah. Yeah, for just like for my for my wage losses. If I would not have um, gotten a raise over the until I retired, and it was my experts and the... And the insurance company's experts, my loss of wages was like one one dollars or something, and and the cap on the cap on any of that is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And regardless to say, I didn't even I didn't, I didn't even get half of that. Right. So right. There's got to be caps for some stuff. For that, might be a little too low, but um. Right. See, I, see, and I agree with John. Thanks. I see. I agree. I see. To me, there's two issues. First of all, th- th- does a legislature have a right? to put i mean the legislature is what creates the various claims in the first place so yeah i think the legislature has a right to put a limit on damages on these again these non-quantifiable sort of damages and the reason they do that is because they are trying to they're trying to rein in juries that look at a very sympathetic plaintiff and say okay here we're going to give you 16 million dollars okay and i and i understand that and i'm not saying this woman doesn't deserve 16 million dollars but but that's what the rationale is and they say cuz what we're trying to do is we're trying to preserve health care in the state and one of the things that drives up health care costs or drives doctors out of the state is you know these huge malpractice awards so we're limiting the amount of money that somebody rec- recover I think there's a rational basis for that, and I think it's constitutional. But, 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 I also concede that in today's day and age, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I think is, I think is very, very low. And if you look at a catastrophic sort of situation like this, somebody who in their, and I think this happened when she was in her early fifties, now she's fifty-seven. You look at somebody like this; she's got four kids, and you know she's she's had as a result of the mal because of the malpractice, you know she's had you know her her limbs amputated. Um, Seven hundred fifty thousand dollars doesn't seem like very much to again compensate you for this. So. I think that you have every right to put limits in to rein in out of control juries, but but seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars way way low. Let's talk to Debbie in Milwaukee. Debbie, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Here's my opinion on it. I think there should be caps, but I also think seven fifty is too low, and the caps should be uh, like you said earlier fair. Why yeah. can't we cap caps like the insurance agencies, loss of one arm, loss of a leg, and different caps for your losses? Oh, sort of and, like they do with workers' compensation. Yeah, like in workers' compensation, there's a schedule. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and pain and suffering, I think, should depend on your age. If it happens to an 18-year-old, it's one amount. If it happens to a 70-year-old, it's a different amount because you're going to have pain and suffering for a longer part time mm-hmm. in your life. Yeah, I mean, those are all, I mean, thanks. I mean, see, those are all, I mean, and, but the, it's part of the problem, though, with that, Debbie, is that, First of all, it's the underlying problem of of how you quantify pain and suffering. You know, because because it's different, it's different for everybody. I mean, let's take let's and again, I'm I'm not trying to trivialize this. This was a very very significant thing. But let's say let's say you you do have somebody that just absolutely loves golf, and I keep coming back to that. And a lot of people maybe are listening to oh, who cares? I mean, I don't play golf. Golf is a stupid game. But what about somebody who who that is their their life? They they love they love golf. And that's, you know, they've devoted their life to golf. And now as a result of this, through no fault of their own, they can't participate. Well, okay, how how do you quantify how important that is? Or, uh, again, somebody who, who loves to drive. That's what we used to do. We take drives to the country nowadays. Now I can't do that. It, it's just a very, very difficult thing to quantify, which is why you, you have this particular issue. Now, a couple, it's interesting because the circuit judge who ruled on this and one of the appellate judges wouldn't have found the caps to be unconstitutional. They would just found the cap to be unconstitutional, quote unquote, as applied, meaning in this particular case, it was, in fact, excessive. This case is going to go up to the state Supreme Court. My, you you can go broke trying to figure out what courts are going to do. My guess is the Supreme Court is going to uphold the cap and go back and, and limit the, the non-economic damages to 750000 bucks. That's my guess. Could end up being wrong. We, you know, we'll know probably in a year because you know this is going to be appealed. But regardless, I do think the legislature, regardless of how this case comes out, I think the legislature would be well advised to take another look at these limits because $750,000 for a catastrophic injury like this, it's a lot of money. But in this grand scheme of things, it's really not that much. I mean, seriously, if you were in your mid-50s and through no fault of your own, you suffered an injury like this and all your limbs were amputated, you know, would you think you deserve more than $750,000? We did, um, we're back. We've got lots more coming up in the program, including Volvo Goes Electric, Pop Culture Corner, Mayor Barrett Does the Right Thing. You heard me right. Mark the uh, tape. And um, what is made in America? Stick around. 1027, Jeff Wagner. This is, of course, REO Speedwagon. Jane Matinair is rocking out already. They're performing at the BMO Harris Pavilion. Um, the hottest acts and the newest food. John McCure and the Wisconsin's Afternoon News crew capture the energy and excitement of Summerfest today following the Brewers Cubs. It's live from the big gig sponsored by Dr. Michael's Oconomowoc Dental Care. I'm going to be, I, actually, I was going to go haunt the Scafidi and Billstead, but I forgot we've got the Cubs game, Cubs Brewers game coming up. So I'm going to be down there. I'm going to get down there about two and then hang out for a while this afternoon. Have to do something later on this evening. So I don't think I'm going to be around to catch REO Speedwagon, but I know Jane Matinair will be down there. She will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And then, oh, can't they, you, can't they start at five? Well, wait a second. <laughs> you're off tomorrow. You, I am. You, wait, you, I mean, you did yeoman's duty. I mean, you worked over the 4th of July, so you're off. So you, you could be down there. I, I could. 
<laughs> I probably won't. <laughs> Again, if they would come on, REO, take the stage at five. Well, or three. You know, what, what, you know, three. Well, I mean, I mean, that's let, let's face it. A lot of your crowd, a lot of your audience. That's you know, they're, they're going to be it's senior day. They're going to be down there that's for right. goodness sakes. Um, all right, just saying. It is ten thirty. Let's uh, go over to the WTMJ twenty four hour newsroom. Here is the aforementioned Jane Metner. Thank you, Jeff. Police outside of Atlanta, Georgia, say all four children found stabbed to death in a home were under the age of ten. The bodies found inside that home early today. Their names not released. A man found inside the home, also deceased, was the father, the wife, and mother of the victims now in custody. Attorneys for one of the two teenage girls accused of stabbing a girl 19 times to impress a fictional online character called Slenderman want jurors sequestered during the trial. The lawyers for 14-year-old Morgan Geyser say a sequestered jury is necessary because of publicity surrounding the case makes it tough for jurors not to hear about it. Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald says Republican senators are still opposed to raising taxes or fees in order to plug nearly $1 billion transportation shortfall that's holding up the passage of Wisconsin's state budget. Fitzgerald called a meeting today with fellow Republican senators and staffers to review it. Fitzgerald says he doesn't see any movement from senators to embrace higher taxes as has been proposed. Time for the WTMJ Drake and Associates market update. At this hour, the Dow is down 86 at 21,391. The Nasdaq down 36 at 61.14 and the S&P is down 12 at 24 420. The WTMJ Pella WI.com time saver traffic 94 inbound highway 16 to the zoo will take you 11 minutes from the zoo to the Marquette 7 41 45 southbound from highway Q to the zoo the regular 14 43 inbound brown deer to the Marquette a 12 minute ride 94 inbound Layton to the Marquette 7 minutes and 894 eastbound from the Hale to the Mitchell 6 traffic is sponsored by WTMJ mobile Packers Brewers Bucks and what he thinks about all of the day's sports news. Hear Greg Matzik on the Sports Central Show podcast now on the WTMJ mobile app. The WTMJ five-day forecast, sunny, warm, and humid, a chance of thunderstorms late with a high today up to 88. Cloudy and muggy tonight, a chance for strong storms, low of 70. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, still a chance for showers and storms with a high up to 80. Sunshine on Saturday, high 77. Partly cloudy on Sunday, a chance for afternoon storms up to 83. And Monday, cloudy with storms and a high Monday of 80. In Beaver Dam, it's 82. In Port Washington, 85. In Milwaukee, we just hit 89 degrees. Watch today's TMJ4 News for your complete Storm Team forecast. I'm Jane Matnair, News Radio 620, WTMJ. And I'm Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, what does it mean to be made in America? This is a day to remember. They're performing tonight at the Harley-Davidson Roadhouse at Summerfest. Go check them out. Four days left to Summerfest. We wait all year for Summerfest, and then it's gone so very, very quickly. Uh, combined, both Wayne Larrabee and ESPN's um, Rob Domofsky have covered the Packers for decades. They trade inside stories and a few funny anecdotes about their respective careers in Green Bay. Have a listen in Wayne's latest podcast, The Play-By-Play, up now at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. While you're at our podcast page, you can download my show. I know lots of people do it. Listen to it um, at your own convenience. We certainly appreciate that. All right. Maglite flashlights. Th- this is it's one of like my weird little peccadillos. I, I acknowledge that I like flashlights. I just I have, I have I have a, I have a bunch of flashlights around the house. You never know when you're going to need flashlights. Hondo says you know what to get me for Christmas. Yeah, I like flashlights. I, I do, and I will tell you, I, Maglite flashlights. 
I, I really like them. I mean, they've got some heft to them. They're they're not the, these cheap sort of things. Matter of fact, I have a big old mag light flashlight in in both of of my cars. You know, so um, you pay a little bit more, but but they're very very good. The the story behind it, it's really interesting. The guy who who founded this this company, um, born in New York, raised in Croatia, came to the U.S. Um, so he's U.S. citizen because he was born here, um, came right after World War II, uh, took a job sewing, sewing clothes, and then you know he came up with this idea, I'm going to make these quality sort of flashlights, and, and he did. At, at one point in time, Maglite employed over 1,100 workers, and they had sales that totaled more than $100 million. Today, the company employs about half that number and is losing money. Why are they losing money? They're losing money because they're having trouble competing with the cheap imports that are coming in from China and Mexico. Right, so it's it's that battle. So one of the things that people suggest to the guy is, look, you're an American company. You should you should advertise made in America. You know, because lots of people want to buy American, so advertise made in America. And he says, well, here's the problem with that. We did that. We, we did that. And we ended up getting sued by California. California, because we sold our products in California, and California went after us. California has a law that says that you cannot advertise a product for sale in California. You can't label it Made in America unless at least 95% of the content, 95% of what goes into the product has to be made in America. Otherwise, you can't advertise it as made in America. It used to be 100%, but then they had all this litigation, so it's now 95%. The guy says, here's, here's the problem. We don't market made in the USA. He said, I, I fought this, and I lost millions of dollars in this lawsuit. I mean, here, here's the deal. We make the product in the USA. All the goods that we put in the flashlight, um, from massive flats of aluminum, we, we fabricate everything. Um, it all comes from U.S. source materials, except two things. There's a rubber seal that we need. And he said the rubber seal, they don't make that in the U.S. It's, it's a little rubber seal. There's no place in the U.S. that makes these rubber seals. So we import that from Taiwan, and then there's a microchip that we bring in from Asia, again, because they don't make the microchip in the U.S. So you've got the flashlight. It's assembled in the U.S. It's prefabricated aluminum that comes from the U.S. Everything that goes into the flashlight is assembled in, it's assembled in America, and it's all made in America, except the, the little um, the rubber Again, the, the rubber seal and the microchip. And the guy says, well, it, we, and we just can't get them. We buy them from America, in America, but they don't make these things anymore, and we need them to, to do this. So he says, I can't market my product as being made in America because I can't sell it in California because I don't want to get into this litigation. I, I, I'd buy the stuff in America if it was here, but I can't produce it, uh, even though I think it's, it's all made in America. Um, there's other stories like this. Um, there's a it's a group called Leatherman. Um, it's an Oregon-based maker of, of tools. 
they got sued for a single knife blade. Um, Quickset, which makes door locks, got sued because there were a couple of screws made in Mexico. Um, a Utah company makes $1,500 basketball sets. They got sued because they had a couple, the nylon net, that they couldn't get it in the U.S., so the nylon net came in from China or whatever. All these businesses are saying, look, we need to change the law, and we we should be able to say made in America if either all or virtually all of the product is made in America. To impose essentially a 95% standard is unrealistic. Um, actually, the Federal Trade Commission, you know, they, they use this all or virtually all, but not this percentage. Guy says, hey, I should be made in America. It's made in America. I should be able to advertise it. But unless the law changes, I'm afraid to do it because I, I don't want California suing me for millions of dollars. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is really, in today's day and age with a global economy, this is really a very, very interesting question about what is made in America. And let's talk about the flashlights. Flashlights are assembled in America. All the products, including starting at the aluminum, the glass, all that stuff, the bulbs, all of it is made in America except a rubber seal and a microchip that nobody makes them in America. Right? Should this flashlight manufacturer, should Maglite be able to say it's made in America? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is, yeah. Yeah, I think he should be. We discuss next. It's 1041. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. I was just wondering where that song was going. That was at Sale, Sales. They don't write songs like that anymore. That's AWOL Nation performing at the, the Uline Warehouse tonight at Summerfest. All right, so here's the story. The guy that makes Maglite, um, the, the entire flashlight, it's made, it's, man, it's made in the United States. It's made with products. Everything, all the components that go into it are from the United States, except two things, a microchip and a little rubber seal. The reason he brings those in from outside the country is there's nobody in the U.S. that makes them, right? He, he would like, he's losing all sorts of business to cheap, uh, cheaper things that are being brought in overseas. He says, I, I want to be able to advertise made in America, but I'm, su- I'm afraid I'm going to get sued. All right, what do you think? Mark in Green Bay. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, I'm kind of a 100% guy on this one. I, I think in the end, if we have two standards, that's okay. But if it says made in America, my expectation is we'd make it in America. And the the thing that the thing well, that's well, what frustrating. If, well, what if what if you what if he can't? I mean, the, the goods, everything that can be made, it's manufactured in America. Everything that can be made in America, all the components that can come from America do. Um, and it's ninety two percent made in America, but it's not it's not made in America. And so I think the, the frustrating thing. I'm an entrepreneur, and the frustrating thing for me is, you know, I'd like to buy locally. And I, I go, I'm in Wisconsin. I'd like to get some mm-hmm. list that says these are the local manufacturers of office supplies and paper goods. And I'd rather see a Wisconsin guy get a job 
but there's no way to find that information. Well, but okay, and let's so, take that. Let's take that example. Okay, let let's say I mean, you you want to support a Wisconsin business, and so yeah. let, let's say okay, they're, they're they're making Wisconsin paper products, but for whatever reason, there's not a there's not a I, I don't know, maybe the paper products have staples, and there's not a staple manufactured in Wisconsin, so they're bringing in the staples from Illinois. Does does that does that mean then it's not a Wisconsin product? Yes. Huh. But well, you realize, you said, I mean, the effect of that me, is this guy's losing all, this guy's getting killed from people who are bringing in foreign ma- items that are essentially made and manufactured completely overseas. Um, he just says by offering made in America, he could compete. Under your theory, he's just going to continue to lose business to the truly foreign companies. Well, I, so I'm of the so so declare. You know what? We're 92 percent sourced, and we would love to be 100 percent sourced. But here are the two items we need to go and buy. And you know what? If we had some kind of information, there's entrepreneurs out here in America that would love to make those products if they knew what the demand was. So. Uh. But where's, the, where, where's the way of getting that kind of information to say, you know what, we can make a rubber gasket um, that could fit this product. We don't know that there's demand out there for it. Well, but the problem, though, I mean, thanks, but the problem, though, Mark, is you're, is you're hurting, you're screwing over the guy that, that has the mag light. You're, you're, you're putting the burden on him to try to create this additional market. He's trying to compete with the cheaper flashlights that are coming in from Taiwan and, and wherever, and Mexico. That's what he's trying to compete with. You know, he's employing, he's the one that's providing American jobs. And again, the standard that the FTC uses is, you, you can call it, you can say it's made in America, if virtually all of it is made in America. That, that's, that's the standard. But under some of these states, they have these strict liability laws where they say, no, it, it's got to be it's got to be almost 100 percent. Um, I just think this is screwing over this guy. And again, the effect of, of this by not allowing him to say made in America is that now people don't know. You know, I mean, I guess he could say 90 percent made in America, but that's you know, people don't care about that. All they know is right now they have to pay more for the mag lights. Maybe they would be willing to pay more for the mag lights if he was able to bill it as made in America. But but he's not. Let's talk to uh, Will in West Bend. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Hi, Will. Um, I think they should be able to say it. I mean, look at car companies, for instance. They uh, they can source all their parts from overseas, and they can build 90% of it in Mexico, slap on a couple body parts here in the States, and say it was built in America, even though the majority of it wasn't. Yeah, I just, right, I just, you see, and that's, I mean, I wrestle with the whole idea, Will, of, of what does made in America really mean anymore? Does it mean if you assemble it here, but you bring in steel from Mexico or whatever? I mean, what, what exactly does, do we understand made in America to be? And I guess, I guess I've never assumed that that means 100%. If you say made in America, I assume it's made in America. I assume that a lot of, but I, I don't necessarily assume that all the components are because we don't, we don't make all the components for a lot of stuff in America anymore. Right, right. And they um, it's funny that everyone talks about all oh, the big three are all American-made. Oddly enough, the most uh, American uh, vehicle manufacturer is Toyota. Yeah, but, right. At least as far as, I mean, thanks, at least as far as, like, like the assemblies. 414-799-1620. Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on 620 BTMJ. Hi, yes, Jeff. I kind of agree with some of the other callers. 100% made in America should be 100% made in America. Uh, what what if you can't? Ring, no, what? It's a rubber O-ring, Jeff. i got to believe there's O-ring manufacturers somewhere in this country that could make that for him if he knew it needed to be made. Um, and that's the whole point of American-made. 
So you would by, by not a lot by not by going with this strict standard. And what about he says? There's, he said nobody makes this microchip that he uses. Let's talk about the microchip. Nobody makes it. Um, you would not allow him to advertise made in America, and you would allow him to lose business to all the stuff that isn't made in America at all. No, I think he should uh, research that and get into making possibly chips and maybe selling them to the other company. Well, but uh, but he makes I mean, flashlights. You know, he he puts together flashlights. He's not a microchip manufacturer. There's no computer manufacturers in this country at all. He could maybe have somebody make that chip for him. I don't believe he's uh, exhausting all his resources in this country. I don't believe that. So you, as far as you're concerned, virtually, if it would be virtually made in America, you still think that that would be deceptive? Yes, it needs to be 100 percent here. The rubber needs to come from here, and all that other stuff. That exactly, and and, and the top three. American Ford Chevy dealers—they don't claim their cars are made in America. And if you look on the stickers, they tell you exactly where they're made right. from yeah. and where all the parts are. From. Right, right, exactly. No, and, and right—that's. I mean, right. They—they they don't get to make that claim anymore. I'm, I'm sorry. I just think, I just think that's counterproductive, and I, I think that, look, I, the, the standard the FTC uses is you can advertise that you are made in America if it is virtually all made in America. Because that reflects the real world. See, now I, I I understand that you know there's you, you can be this absolutist and you can say, well, you know he, he should he should try to go out and find some micro. And I don't know if we even have any microchip manufacturers that operate in America. I, I don't know, but he he should go out and he should try to find somebody to do that. Well, I, I suspect he has tried to find it. Nobody's doing it right now. Now maybe you can go around, you can knock on doors and say, I need this really specialty type of thing, and can you retool and do this, and can you try to do it in an affordable fashion? But it, but it's not available. That the component isn't there. To me, it's. It's frankly silly to be an absolutist because if you are going to be an absolutist on this, if you're not going to just allow made in America to mean something that's virtually all made in America, you're messing him over because now he's competing. That would be something he should be able to advertise, but he's not allowed to advertise because he's going to get afraid he's going to get sued by the government in California and lose millions of dollars for false advertising when, all right, so you've got a guy who is trying his best Virtually all of it is made in America, and candidly, I don't think consumers really care. I would not find it to be deceptive, for example, if somebody advertised this is made in America, and then I learned that 95% of it was made in America, and the only two things that weren't made in America were a couple components that isn't made in America in the first place. Lucas in South Milwaukee, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, yeah, I, I struggle too with the idea of what do, what do we, where do we draw the line between assembling it here or not? Because I mean, otherwise, if we just consider assembling it here, made in America, I can take my furniture from IKEA <laughs> and at my house, and, and all this right, stuff. and you have I made it in right, right. Yep. <laughs> but I mean, a good flashlight's a good flashlight. But I, I will say, I do expect, like the first caller, that if I'm buying it, that it's a hundred percent. Now maybe I need to adjust my expectations, and maybe we all do. But well, because yeah, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I guess I, I mean, because I wonder, right? It's not just the well. Um, okay, I mean, see, I guess I don't necessarily think that. I mean, I would assume that it's an American company. I would assume that it is assembled in in America. That that to me is made in America. The fact that all the components also come from America. I guess I've never. I've never assumed that because I just know that there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we don't make anymore. Now, thanks, Nicole. But anyhow, that's, I, you know, I think t- to me, 
to me, you, you need to have a standard of practicality. Obviously, if more than half of it is made overseas, then it's not made in America. All right. But if you're talking about almost everything being made in America, that strikes me as made in America as well. And I would much rather, if you want to support American businesses, I'd much rather support the guy that makes mag lights than, you know, support whatever company is importing the cheaper knockoff flashlights that are coming in overseas. But he's yet, he's operating at a huge, huge disadvantage. Doug in McGuanago. Doug, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, good afternoon. Good morning. Hi, Doug. Um, <laughs> I, uh, these guys who are demanding absolutism are really irritating me. Having worked in manufacturing, I mean, there are certain things that are simply no longer made here. I wear Red Wing shoes. I, I like to be kind of self-righteous about that when mm-hmm. you know, other people who are claiming middle-class jobs are being lost. I try to, when possible, buy American. But if you told me my Red Wing shoes, the tips on the shoestrings weren't made in America anymore because no one makes shoe tips. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or or even the, even the shoestrings yeah. weren't made in America. But I'm looking at my two hundred dollar Red Wing, and the two dollar shoestrings were made in China. They wouldn't be able to call those made in America anymore. That that just to me is right. ridiculous. Right, right. and what, especially what, because they don't make shoestrings in America, so they don't have any. Now, I guess the Red Wing people could say, "All right, we're going to start our own shoestring manufacturing plant," but that's not what they're there for. They're making shoes. They're making shoes. I mean, the bulk of the money is in the cutting of the leather and the sewing and the, the whelping and all. I don't know all the details of making right. shoes, but same thing with a mag light. I mean, I buy mag lights. I know they're made in America. The guys, you, there are no chip manufacturers that make these cheap little chips. Right. Now, maybe he could have somebody make these chips, but it would probably add $10 to the cost of the flashlight, which he's having a hard time yeah. selling now because they're three times as expensive as a totally Chinese-made right. flashlight. <laughs> I, I, so, no, you know, what you're saying, rather than having 90% of it made here, you would rather have 100% made in China? I mean, it's just ridiculous. I know. Th- again, that, that, see, that's the frustration that I have as well. Rob and Oshkosh. Rob, the last word is yours. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I think some of these absolutists are a little bit, um, I guess, misinformed. I mean, yeah, it's one thing to have a product or a subcomponent made in the U.S., but you look at the natural resources or the raw materials. For example, natural rubber. You can't get natural rubber in the United States. It's, mm-hmm. it's just simply not available here. So I think people need to start to realize that, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than just a subcomponent like a microchip or, yeah. you know, something like that. It's just it's the availability of the natural resources that are even here. Um, yeah, well, right, exactly, and there, there's just thanks for. There, I mean, to me, the com. I see. I, I try to approach this from a common sense standard. To me, the common sense standard should be what the FTC says. Is it vir- If if it is virtually all made in America, then it is made in America. Um, but under some certain laws, it's not that way, and these guys can't make those claims, so they're losing business to stuff that is really made overseas. How does that make sense? It's ten fifty seven. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So thrilled to have you with us. As long as we are talking consumer issues, uh, gasoline prices, very, very low. Well, I think as I was driving in, $2, I, I, I didn't fill up today, but I went, regular, I think it was 212 when I, when I drove past. I could be wrong, but I think it was like 212 when I drove past one of the stations. I know premium. I have one car that takes regular and one that takes premium, and the premium was like 270 or something like that. And that's, oh, that, that could be right. I, Again, maybe it's 220, but I swear I thought I saw it at 212. But um, the, the truth is, 
gasoline right now is cheap, and it, I think it's going to continue to be cheap for the foreseeable future. What that means is that there's two things that are going on. First of all, when you have cheap gasoline, people drive more. And secondly, the types of vehicles that people buy change. Um, you know, when you had when we were looking at gas that was close to $4 a gallon, you saw consumers, they wanted the small cars, they wanted the hybrid cars, they wanted to explore maybe the electric cars. But once gas comes down to a reasonable price or it's relatively cheap, I mean, what you end up seeing is that people, they, they gravitate more towards the SUVs. It's not as big a factor when gas is 2 bucks a gallon as opposed to $4 a gallon. And that's where, like, the growth in the car industry has been. It hasn't been in the small cars. It's been in the larger cars, the SUVs. On top of that, sales for hybrids have been plummeting. The most popular hybrid in the world is the Toyota um, Prius. Uh, Prius sales have been down. I had the numbers right here. Um, Let's see. Prius sales fell almost... 20% 20% in the first half of 2017 as compared to the first half of 2016, uh, only 55,000 cars were sold. And, you know, that's, that's, I think, that's worldwide, I think. Sales of the Ford C-Max hybrid, last year's uh, second most popular pure hybrid, plunged uh, 37.3%, 4,400 sold in the first six months of 2017. 4,400. I mean, that's... That's nothing. I mean, that's nothing. People are moving away from hybrids. And, um, again, electric cars, Tesla does okay. But with gas relatively cheap or extremely cheap, there's just not that much demand anymore for the hybrid cars, which makes this next story so very interesting. Volvo announced yesterday that they are ditching gasoline engines in favor of electric and hybrid cars starting in two years. Now, let me uh, let, let me explain what they say they are doing. Volvo, which is a Sweden Swedish based company, but it's owned. Again, we talk about you know what's you know what's made in the USA or whatever. Um, it's a Swedish based brand, but it's owned by a Chinese automaker. Announced yesterday that any new or redesigned vehicles it launches after 2019 will be electric or hybrid vehicles. Now, that doesn't mean that they're completely getting out of the the gasoline engine business after 2019. It just means that any new models or redesigned vehicles that they launch after 2019 aren't going to be the internal combustion engine. They're going to be electric or they're going to be hybrid. So theoretically, you can buy, I don't even know what the different Volvo models are, 2018 model. That will, as long as they keep that model and they continue to make it to 2020 or 2021, it'll be a conventional gasoline engine. But starting in 2019, any redesigned or any new cars that they launch will be, again, will will have either electric or hybrid. And what they say, Volvo says, um, this is about the customer. People increasingly demand electrified cars, and we want to respond to the cur- customer's current and future needs. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, you would think that Volvo would know what they're doing, but this strikes me as a very, very radical step. And maybe, maybe in Europe, th- this is the way to go. 
But in this country, I think, and again, I don't know how big a player Volvo is, but to simply at this point in time where we are with gas prices and where I anticipate we're going to continue to be with gas prices for years and years to come, I think only making new cars, and again, new or redesigned vehicles, um, only making them to be hybrids or electric, I think is a recipe for disaster. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And like I say, at least in 2017, sales of hybrid vehicles are not doing well. They are down dramatically from 2016, and they weren't great in 2016. All right, is this the wave of the future? Is the internal combustion engine dead, or is Volvo kind of, I don't know, taking this the way of new Coke, and we know how that all turned out. All right, we're back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1114. This is Jeff Wagner. If you can't tell, I just I don't understand this particular choice. I, I think at least at least as far as the U.S. market goes, this has the potential to kill the brand. It's 1114. This is Jeff Wagner. We discuss next. Seven seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. That is, of course, Tom Petty wrapping up uh, two two nights of concerts back to back at Summerfest. Um, go check him out. Tom Petty does a great show. His facial recognition software, the next step in airport security. That's exactly the case at Boston's Logan International Airport. Would you support this here in Milwaukee at Mitchell? Discuss with Scafidi and Billstead twelve fifteen today as they broadcast live from Summerfest, sponsored by Dr. Michaels Oconomowoc Dental Care. Keep in mind also, it's not on the schedule, but the Brewers are playing a makeup game in Chicago. This was the rain out that wasn't rain. Remember the Cubs? Cubs were on a losing streak. Brewers were playing well. They canceled the game several hours before game time in anticipation of rain that never came. This is that game. All right. Um, Volvo announcing that starting in 2019, any new car that they come out with, and that would be a completely new car, or any redesigned car that they come out with is either going to be electric or hybrid. So they'll still make internal combustion engines for a while, but for all new vehicles, um, that would be new models that they introduce. It's going to be electric or electric or hybrid. Will this succeed in the U.S.? Candidly, I, I think this brand, if they really continue to do this, I think this brand is going to disappear essentially in the U.S. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Rod in Janesville. Rod, you're first. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Um, <clears throat> I, in, in the United States, I think that could happen, though I know... Um, you kind of touched on base that Volvo is owned by China, and right. a lot of those vehicles are going to be shipped off to China because um, their goal is to have millions of electric vehicles in that country to help reduce their pollution issues. Right, the carbon footprint, there. yeah, the carbon yeah. footprint. Yeah. So um, it's like how they're looking to spend $300 billion on solar in the future. So, Do you think this will kill them in the U.S.? I I think it, I don't think, I don't know if it will kill them because like you said they're still going to have some gas powered cars but it will I think it will drastically reduce the number that they sell unless yeah. we unless gasoline spikes again. Yeah, no, right. I mean, I, I right. I mean, I, I agree. I agree with everything you said, Rod. I mean, I, obviously, this is. I mean, it's a global company, and you, you think of Volvo as being Swedish. It's a Swedish brand. It's owned by China, um, um, and clearly. 
especially in China, from what I'm told, there's a huge demand for like the electric cars. You're, you're not seeing that demand right now. And look, I understand we have Teslas, and I know that there's some people who love Teslas, but that's a real small niche. You know, that's a small niche right now. And right now, when it comes to the hybrid cars, you know, they have declining popularity. Now, I guess the question would become, like Rob was saying, what if gasoline prices spike? But given given fracking, given the different oil sources we have, I don't think there's anybody that believes that gasoline prices are going to spike any time in the near future. Now, there might be a pipeline that goes out or drives up costs, but it, but in general, um, oil oil is plentiful, and I think will continue to be plentiful for years and years to come. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. I uh, just wanted to talk about uh, Volvo a little bit. They're more of a European company, uh, mm-hmm. Swedish and uh, China. Right. And, you know, the electronic, or, you know, in Europe, when I was in Europe a couple of years ago, they're more environment, environment conscious. Right. Uh, I don't know if this relates to this or not, but you cannot find a box of Kleenex in a house. They use handkerchiefs. Right, because <laughs> we don't want to... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, they don't want to use the paper or whatever and save wood and the trees and everything else. So I think that Volvo is probably making the right decision for Europe and China. And U.S. is a big market, but maybe not a big niche for them. I'm not sure. I I just don't see it happening here for them for Volvo, but I think it might be a big thing for them for Europe and China. Right. Um, the yeah, well, no, I think that's clearly... I mean, I, I don't disagree. I, I think... To me, I think this is Volvo sort of abandoning the um, almost abandoning the U.S. market by by not technically doing it. I'll give you an idea. For, I just pulled up the numbers. Um, let's see, June, June, um, Volvo sales in the U.S. They only sold seventy three hundred vehicles for the month of June. Now. Across the U.S., 7,300 does not sound like very many to me. The top seller for the month was the XC90. Um, Got to look up. I'm not sure what the XC90 would be. Um, but that was, the, that was the top seller. But only, only again, only, only 2,700 vehicles of that one model, 7,300 nationwide. Um, so it's kind of a niche to begin with. I think this makes them much, much more of a niche. Let's talk to Robert in East Troy. Robert, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, what I think, I'm actually in the business. I work for a company that has a global market share on power semiconductors that are related to the hybrid and and electric vehicle market. That being said, I do not see the culture in the United States changing fast enough to be able to have a standalone company that's only going to be offering hybrid vehicles because our culture does not supported right and, 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 and the biggest thing is is all you have to do is take a look at what happens to the, the sales of suvs and pickup trucks the minute the opportunity presents itself to the american people right and the minute gas prices drop to a, what they perceive to be a reasonable level people want it and even still they still still even after that being said is that when the price of, of uh gas goes drop goes down once people get used to the higher prices, the sales still of the SUVs and pickup trucks came back before the price drop. Yeah. And uh, we would rather spend more money for our fuel time, and we'd rather spend the, uh, the $115 a year more to drive around in a 4x4 pulling your four ATVs or a 23-foot boat. Right. Stuff and seven people in a vehicle. That's our nature. That's not in Europe. I mean, right. I haven't been to Europe since, oh, May 15th, so it might have changed. I don't know. 
Right. But no, but I, but I think no, but I think no, I see I, I agree with you completely. And, and this will this will this work in China? Yeah. And I, I think that's perhaps reflecting again the fact that this is now the company's owned by the Chinese. Um yeah, the the one the XC what did I say, the XC90, that's a that's a that's a big old SUV. <laughs> um starts at $45,000. That was their top seller. But yeah, I just I mean see, I just don't see people getting out of their SUVs and I think uh, again, the, the electric cars, and I appreciate for those of you who have electric cars. To me, this is this is just a real niche right now. The idea, because I, I understand they're getting better battery life um, and things like that. The, the pure electric cars, that to me, again, I just until you can get, until you can figure out a way to recharge them really, really quick, and until you can figure out a way to get. 300 plus miles out of each charge i i think they're always still going to be kind of that niche and certainly people aren't willing to pay in general i understand there's some folks out there but most people aren't willing to pay a premium to have that the same thing is kind of true with the hybrids and the batteries what happens when the batteries wear out what is it going to cost you i mean candidly i'm not trying to be down on innovation and I understand maybe at some point in time, you know, electric cars are going to be the wave of the future. I just think in the U.S., that's going to be a niche, and it's going to continue to be a niche for the foreseeable future. If if you want to be at the cutting edge, though, of all those technology, hang around because all the new car models that get introduced after 2019, they're going to either be electric, which is where they're really going, or maybe hybrid. It's a, and I guess we'll, we'll see where it works. I don't think it's going to work in the U.S. It might help them overseas. 1125, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Everything is awesome. It's 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Combined, Wayne Larravee and ESPN's Rob Rob Domofsky have covered the Packers for decades. They trade inside stories and a few funny anecdotes about their respective careers in Green Bay. Have a listen in Wayne's latest podcast, The Play-By-Play, that's up now at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. Some of these stories, and again, I, I understand, I don't want to sound like that, Oh, my gosh, back in the day or kids nowadays. But some of these stories are just mind-boggling to me. This is the one out of Greenfield. Two teenagers are in custody following a pair of early morning break-ins Wednesday, July 5th. Uh, Police say a group of at least five suspects, these are teenagers, stole a car from a dealership, nearly hitting a police squad as they peeled out of the lot. Police say they also targeted a rental car place nearby. At least three more suspects are being sought. Thieves broke into Brager Ford Auto Dealership located on 27th Street near Cold Spring Road. Um, Didn't get too far. Uh, They tried to steal a car. Dash cam video shows some of the suspects nearly hitting one police car as they peeled out of the dealership Wednesday morning. Police said around 5.30 a.m. at least five suspects broke a window to get to the dealership, um, taking an SUV. We were able to deploy stop sticks in front of the car nearby the business and bring that vehicle to a halt. They started to flee. Uh, One of the suspects tried to run off. Those inside the SUV got away on foot. Um, Police say the maroon car the thieves took to the dealership was reported stolen out of Waukesha. Responding to the chase, they dropped pursuit after the car reached 100 miles an hour. All right. Okay, when, when I was 16 or 17 years old, it occurred to me to do a lot of stuff. It would not have occurred to me to steal a car, lead police on a 100-mile-an-hour chase, 
then go to another car dealership, break into the car dealership, and, and seize it. I just, I don't know, Ann and Jack Wagner would not have been happy with their son if he did that. But yet these are the conventional stories that you have about people out there, and you know when they catch these people, you know this is not going to be their first time at the rodeo. You understand that these are going to be, generally speaking, teenagers who have had multiple contacts with the criminal justice system. You don't just wake up one morning and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to steal the car and lead cops on a 100-mile-an-hour uh, high-speed chase and then go to another dealership and break in. You know darn well that they've been through the criminal justice system multiple times. They've gotten slapped on the wrist. There's been no sort of deterrent. And I guess sooner or later, we got to realize that this is a big deal, and we have to treat it like say it is a big deal instead of just molly coddling the kids. But we're not at that point yet, I guess. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, um, that's REO Speedwagon performing tonight at the BMO Harris Pavilion. Uh, four days left in Summerfest. Go down and check that out. And um, we, we've been talking a lot about the WTMJ free ride. We're, we're doing it a little bit different this year because we partnered with Summerfest. It's the 50th anniversary. We're going to be giving away the vehicle. And normally we, we'd run the promotion. Um, we'd do the giveaway mid to late July. Um, this year we're giving it away at Summerfest on one of the stages on Sunday night, the last day of Summerfest. How cool is that? And our partnership this year has just been absolutely wonderful. I think Summerfest has been great. I know I'm looking forward to uh, getting down there this afternoon. going to walk around the grounds for a couple hours before I go and do some other stuff. Make sure you get out and enjoy the great weather. Right now, it is that time of the week. We do this in this segment of the program on every Thursday. We put away the, the heavy lifting. We stop talking about President Trump and what's going on with the G20, summit, uh, the G20 summit, and we stop worrying about North Korea for just a couple minutes and have a little bit of fun, especially on a 91-degree day. Just hit 91 degrees here, and actually, I'm, I decided to dress for it. I mean, if you can't wear a shirt like this today, you, you, know, you just can never wear a shirt like this. We call it Pop Culture Corner. Um, we do this this time every week. Sometimes we talk about music, sometimes food, sometimes sports. Just something going on in the, the world of pop culture that catches my attention. Uh, there was a story in USA Today yesterday. Um, the headline was, In Praise of the Worst, Will There Always Be a Place for Bad Movies? And it starts with the movie Suicide Squad. Now, um, Suicide Squad opened last august and if you haven't seen super suicide squad it's well it's a it's sort of a superhero type of movie but it features super villains essentially and it's loud and it's really really violent i i saw the movie matter of fact uh, my, my friend jenny who i saw it with i think she wanted to walk out of it she did she was not having a good time at the movie because again it was loud it was violent it was just really dumb it was a bad movie but uh, the critics just hated it just absolutely hated it, um, but people responded. It made three hundred twenty-five million dollars. Three hundred twenty-five million dollars, and any movie that makes three hundred twenty-five million dollars, I guarantee you, there's going to be a sequel to it. So you know that there will, in fact, be a sequel. But the truth is, it was it was a really bad movie. At least that's what I thought. It's now making the rounds of like the HBOs or the movie channels or whatever. And I I, I had an opportunity about a week or so ago. Well, maybe I'll give this movie another chance. Um, you know, maybe maybe I just wasn't in the right mood, whatever. 
Um, I watched it, and you know, it's still it, it's kind of a bad movie, but a lot of people like it. Um, the Transformers series, I watched the first one. I haven't seen any other ones. They've got a new Transformers movie out. It's called Transformers The Last Night. It, it's last night within K-N-I-G-H-T. It's getting just completely savaged, but nevertheless, it opened with $44 million in the box office. And while that's the lowest opening of any of the Transformer movies, $44 million is $44 million dollars and all the critics say it's horrible but i mean there is some sort of loyalty to this and part of it is there there is a loyalty that some of us have to bad movies as a movie aficionado i like good movies but every once in a while there are those bad movies that for some reason just reach out and suck you in (laughs) and and you know it's a bad movie but you can't help yourself So the USA Today asked the question, will there always be a place for bad movies? My answer is, absolutely there will be, and there will always be people who love them. So for Pop Culture Corner today, and we are live streaming this on Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, we've turned on the lights in the studio. You can participate via Facebook as well. But to answer the question, in honor of Transformers opening up, Will there always be a place for bad movies? My answer is clearly yes. I thought we would talk about that bad movie. And you know it's a bad movie, but nevertheless, it's got a space in your heart. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The bad movie that you just absolutely love. You know it's a bad movie. You cannot help yourself. You, you enjoy it. Unfortunately, I have several. While Hondo is lining up the calls, I'll, I'll start off. Um, Showgirls. I, I just, I'm embarrassed to admit it. I don't. It, Showgirls is an awful movie. It is a dreadful movie by any standard at all. But nevertheless, when it's on, I continue to watch it, and it's not just because there's a lot of semi-naked women in it. It's just there's something about the acting. It's just so bad. I, I watch it. Kind of like, you know, you watch the videos of a car crash. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's Pop Culture Corner. All right, that bad movie that has a place in your heart. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll get to as many calls as possible. It's 1140. This is Jeff Wachter, 620 WTMJ. Eleven forty-three, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Okay, we're at uh, Pop Culture Corner. Um, it's that bad movie that has a place in your heart. Let's start with, um, let's see, Chris in Waukesha. Chris, you're on six twenty, WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, great topic. There's always <laughs> going to be bad movies that are loved. For me, it's Sharknado. The entire series, the <laughs> acting is terrible. The sharks don't even look right, but it just makes me laugh so hard I cry. My wife thinks I'm nuts. Um, I, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you should mention Sharknado because um, let me put it like this: we're having an overwhelming response on both our text line and our Facebook live thing. Sharknado is clear. I, I must have a half dozen people who are with you as well. <laughs> I, I've never seen it. I've never seen any of them. So. The acting is absolutely terrible, but they are funny. They're very humoring. They're more of like a cult classic film series. Well, yeah, okay. Well, plus, um, okay, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give one a try, but I will go in with low expectations, huh? No, very low, very okay. low. Fair enough. All right, that's good. Let's talk to Ruth in Colgate. Ruth, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, um, Ruth. I just wanted to echo your sentiment with Showgirls. <laughs> that movie is so horrible but it's a guilty pleasure mm-hmm. of mine that i watch all the time just to see if i can get any more um 
clarity on why that ever made the, the big screen. It's horrible. Elizabeth Berkeley's acting is horrible. Her movement, she's, she's got these deliberate, deliberate movements, and I, she delivers her lines with such anger. Right, and, and, then, and then just the awful makeup. I mean, it's just... On, on so many levels, it's just a horrible film. There's no question yep. about it. It's, yep. but, but I just, it, but, it, but it's, it seems like it's on all the time on like the HBOs or the Showtimes or the Movie Channel or whatever. And when it, generally speaking, it's like at one in the morning. And instead of sleeping, I'm watching it, and it doesn't get any better. <laughs> it I just know. doesn't. I, I do every time it's on. I, I don't know why because I'm not into showgirls or anything. <laughs> but I think it's just the acting. Like if she can do it, I could do it. I could be a horrible actor and make. I- Tons of money. I, except, well, because, except that pretty much killed her career, I think. But yeah, <laughs> yes, as well yes. as it should have. Thanks for calling. Yeah, Showgirls. I, I remember I, when I first saw it in the movie theater. We actually, I saw it in the movie theater. I went with my friend Jeff. And I, about a third of the way through, I then became embarrassed because I'm like, okay, who's going to recognize me? And how can I get out of this without recogn- being recognized seeing it? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Which, okay, what's your movie? Revenge of the Nerds. Oh. Ooh. Do you think that's a bad... See, I kind of like that one, but I... I the, if the first one, not the sequel, right? No, not the sequel. The sequel, if that's even more horrible. But the first one, it's just... I mean, it, it, on its level, the acting is not all that great. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not... I don't it's think Anthony it. Edwards is going to put that on his... Uh, is going to put that on his, his list. No, yeah. it's not a resume builder, but... Um, <laughs> you know, but it's just... It's just for some reason it gets sucked into it, maybe because it's so. Oh yeah, right, right, right. The the dirds and all the different, and how they all end up with the girls and stuff. No, I think so. I mean, that 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 would clearly be that would clearly be one. I mean, a lot of people love it for what that is. For what it is, it was okay. Let's see. Let's check out our text line. Um, Randy says, "Oh, um, Super Troopers. Yeah, that would be one. Hey, another one. I admit I'm addicted to this one. Starship Troopers. Okay, just." just by any stretch of the imagination, a dreadful movie, just a dreadful movie, but that's one where I watch it when it's on. As a matter of fact, I dragged my best friend Evan to it. They were showing it at one of the Marcus movie theaters. I said, let's go see Starship Troopers. And I think I had to I think I had to buy the I think I had to buy the beer for the next week for taking him to that. Um let's see on our text line. Hudson um Hudson Hawk. Yeah, that's a Bruce Willis thing. Um yes, yes, yes. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to let's see. Michael in Racine. Michael, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Hey, for me it has to be the Hollywood Knights with a K. The Knights are a, cl- a car club in uh, Beverly Hills. Right. And they're tearing down their hangout uh, tubbies, and the Knights get their revenge on the snooty uh, Beverly Hills people. It's uh, yeah. actually a young Tony Danza. It, I think it's right. maybe his first movie. No, I think uh, you're, as I recall, that was that came out after American Graffiti. That was one I think was trying to take advantage of the popularity of American Graffiti. So. It did, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No. I. Thanks. No. I. I remember. I. I actually. I remember Hollywood Nights. Okay. Sharon writes into the woods. Streep won an Oscar. Everyone raved about it. Me. I'd rather watch Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. A, lo- a long couple of hours. Uh, Jeff writes out for justice. Cobra. Um, next of kin. Yeah. All those type of movies. Brett writes mystery science theater um, version of Boggy Creek too. Um, boy, there's just a lot of those that are out there. Another one for me. Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, uh, um, Mickey Rourke, Don Johnson. Uh, clearly, they were both doing it for a paycheck. Uh, the plot makes absolutely no sense. But, you know, 
I, I love the Don Johnson character. There's something about it. Whenever that one is on, and I know how it's going to turn out, and I know it's not going to get any better, but I end up watching it. Dan and Mequon. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, Roadhouse with uh, Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's that's another. It seems like that. And uh, oh, who's the bad guy? Ben Gazzara. He's the bad guy, right? Yep, yep. You got it. <laughs> that's that's another one that after about the first twenty minutes, you know that that it's it's just it's not going to be any good. But you you still kind of you get mesmerized, wondering, gee, how is this whole thing going to turn out? Yeah, I, I right. And that, and that seems like that's on all the time too. They must they they must have cut deals because every time I turn on the TV, it seems like you could watch Roadhouse somewhere. And the ending. Uh, both the Wyatt and both of the Wyatt Earp movies are, are are bad, good movies too. Yeah, the one with Kevin Costner and the other with uh, yes, um, yeah, I can and Val, uh, I can I can picture Val Kilmer is in it. Uh, I'll draw. I'm drawing a blank on the guy who plays the lead character. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Let's talk to Joel in Cedarburg. Joel, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Bad good morning, movie. Morning, Jeff. Oh, Red Dawn. <laughs> the original one, right? <laughs> the, the the original one, right? The, the they, original I, Patrick Swayze's best movie. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's and that's saying something. No, thanks. For, right, no, the original Red Dawn is they're they're fighting back against the. I, see, I would have done much better in school. I would have been much better a lawyer if I just didn't have this this weird fascination for all these different movies and stuff. Tom in Wales. Tom, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, um, Joe Dirt. <laughs> Just cracks me up. <laughs> <laughs> and but you know it's bad, right? Oh yeah. But uh the buffalo everywhere he goes, Buffalo Bob. <laughs> yep. No, nothing happens. <laughs> I you know, I, I just I think I, I saw that I, I did not pay money to see Joe Dirt, but I but I have seen it again as it as it makes the rounds, no question about it. Linda in Adele. Linda, you're on six twenty BTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. It's got to be all the Godzilla movies. <laughs> I just love them. <laughs> really? So I mean, they, they they keep making them. That's what the that's one of the amazing things to me. They just they just keep making them. They do. And this weekend they had a Godzilla marathon, and I had my grandkids over, and now they love watching them with me. So <laughs> they just keep on going. I'm sure your kids are thrilled that you are introducing your grandchildren to the Godzilla movies. There, Linda. It's hilarious, especially with the fancy video games. How they play it, they get such a kick out of them. Well, there's 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 nothing like a giant lizard stomping on uh, stomping on uh, Tokyo to, that says "Good time to me." Uh, let's see, whatever it takes. Great call on Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Yeah, I'm not necessarily proud of that. Yes, okay. Another text. Flash Gordon in the early '80s. Queen recorded the soundtrack. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite. See, I don't. I mean, actually, Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know that I necessarily even consider that to be a bad movie. I think Napoleon Dynamite is um pretty decent movie. Nacho Libre without uh Nacho Libre with Jack Black. I, anything with Jack Black is probably um in that category as well. Let's talk to Chris in Madison. Chris, you're on six twenty to BTMJ. Good morning. Hey, I, I wanted to be anonymous in Madison for this <laughs> one, but Saved by the Bell, the series and the movie. It just was so unbelievably dumb, but you had to know what was going to happen to A.C. Slater. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Okay. now i got to tell you, Chris, see, I I think I've seen a lot of different movies and stuff. I have to tell you, even I didn't see the Saved by the Bell movie, (laughs) you know. (laughs) 
it's embarrassing. <laughs> I, yeah, if, if, if it's one that I, you know, if it, even, you know, and I got to tell you, and one step further, if that came on like HBO or Cinemax or one of those things and I saw it, I still don't think I'd watch it even for free. But, but, but right. it's yeah. But but I get it. But it's you know you got you got the rock and the bad movie. Let's see. Uh, Andy and Sister Bay says Blues Brothers. I kind of like Blues Brothers. Um, uh, Drew writes Tommy Boy and Slapshot. See, Slapshot is another one that I I think I think it's a hysterical movie. I I love Slapshot. But I I could understand if you if you didn't get it. Slapshot would be one of those where you'd sit and say, I can't believe we are doing this. Um, all right, geez, I should have old school. Let's see, that's from Matt. Um, Raising Arizona. Um, I liked. I actually liked Mary, Raising Arizona as well. American Outlaws, yeah, that would be one that fits into that category as well. Um, let's see, uh, Dr. Strangelove, Roadhouse, Commando, a number of other ones. But the bottom line is there is always, always, always going to be room for for bad movies that we love, um, the, the, my legendary one, and actually, if if you go over to my workspace here, I have the movie poster up for it, um, Howard the Duck, uh, I, which I, I can't explain why I love it, but I do love Howard the Duck. What can you say? All right, when we come back, it's 1154. We'll find out what Scafidi and Bill Stat have on their minds. It is an abbreviated show. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.